Welcome to Free and Figuring It Out, a weekly podcast hosted by two Brits, Sherelle Griffith and Verity Brown, on a mission to support, empower and reassure fellow independent millennial women that they can be self-sufficient, successful and seen. Hello and welcome back to this next episode of Free and Figuring It Out. We are doing another money special and we are super excited to have Prina here with us. Prina is a qualified chartered accountant and founder of This Girl Invest. This Girl Invest was born out of a frustration at the lack of basic financial education. This Girl's Invest mission is to help reduce the gender investment gap by using education as a tool to empower women to invest and to feel financially confident. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. We are so excited. Mm -hmm. Investing is just, you know, we've spoken already about like being in debt and savings and investing like, you know, for many, the last step in the financial journey, but a very important one. And I suppose really in line with your mission, I am really conscious about like the gender investment gap. So I think everything we can do to help take away some of the fear <laughs> and some of the myths around this topic is going to be really helpful. Yeah, I love talking about investing. So <laughs> let's do it. Yay. <laughs> um, well, I will get started again for those who listen often. Um, so I'm the typical uh, spender, the one who has debt, et cetera, et cetera. Sherelle's kind of um, at the other end of the spectrum. So I'm going to ask all the basic questions because investing is to me like this golden unicorn in the sky that is not reachable in my eyes at the minute and pensions I literally have no idea about and it's hard to say that as a 34 year old woman but I just haven't given it any thought so this is going to be great for me and anyone like me who is really starting from scratch so someone who's never invested in their life before can you just explain how it works for me please absolutely so I think the first thing I want to distinguish is the difference between investing and trading. I think there's a lot of noise out there around, you know, trading and like getting rich really quick and fancy cars and fancy houses. And like, that's not, that's media's portrayal of investing. It's not really what it entails. Um, so that's the first things first. So trading is when you're buying something um, and intending to sell it within the next day, within the day or within the next week. In, in the hope that it's going to have gone up in value and therefore maybe you put a pound in and you've got two pound back I mean that's 100% return it's unlikely but you sort of get the gist yeah um whereas with investing it sort of is encompasses a more long-term approach where you are you know buying still low but then you're sort of ignoring the short-term fluctuations the ups and the downs that you know you normally see um with stocks and you're sort of just following the trend and saying well if I buy low now I don't care if it goes you know up massively or down massively um I'm just hoping that when I retire or when I need to take the money out in 20-30 years that has grown in value a bit like property right you don't worry too much about whether the property value has gone up or down too much within a week or a month you sort of worry about it over years um and that's the sort of long-term thinking behind investing which is very different to trading Okay, so trading is like Wall Street. Is that right? Like, yeah. is that kind of what they do? Have I got that right? Yeah, that's part of what they do. Yeah. yeah and then investing is that, um, you know, 
you like you say it's not that day because I don't really understand those daily fluctuation things you know um like the footsie and is is it all yeah. of that basically is that okay okay so that's kind of that separate and would you say trading is a higher risk then than investment or does it just depend absolutely yeah trading is high risk because you're making big assumptions about what's going to happen um okay. and, you, and the people that do it on a daily basis spend a lot of time thinking about you know the economy and uh, information that companies are releasing and um you know what other countries are doing etc like it's a lot of work to try and figure out the future to be speculative right whereas investing okay. doesn't have to be that way you can still buy something i an asset which is what investing is you're buying an asset and hoping that it will go up in value um you can really still do that without having to worry about the noise so so for example you can buy into what is called a fund, which maybe we should take a step back and explain what is a share, what is a bond, yeah. um, because that I think be great. That, yeah. is, that is often, you know, spoken about, but then not easy to follow. Um, so a share is just basically you buying a piece of a company, right? So it's you paying, say, let's see, Del- delivery um, recently um, became public, so we can buy shares. Um, and it, you know, I appeared for about £3.90. So you can buy a delivery share for £3.90, right? And then I'm now an owner of delivery in that I ride its highs and its lows. Like if it does really badly, I'm still an owner. If it does really well, I'm still an owner. And and therefore, if it goes up and down, I'm susceptible to that, which is why they say like your capital is at risk. It's just a fancy way of saying, mm-hmm. you know, if you put money in, maybe tomorrow when you decide to sell that, it might not have the same value like when you first bought it um and that's what a share is it's a piece of a company whereas a bond is is um you giving money to someone but knowing that you're going to get the money back so it's low risk so i think those those are the two key ones to know you've got the bond that's low risk because you know you're going to get your money back and then the share that's high risk because you're riding up the ups and downs with the company Okay, so with a bond, you could make more on that, could you? But you will definitely get your money back as well. Exactly. Yeah, it's okay. still better than keeping it in cash uh, because yeah, maybe yeah. we need to explain that a bit. But when you keep your money in cash and it's really easy to think, oh, this is safe, you know, I'll keep it under my pillow, under my mattress and like I don't know, <laughs> in boxes and in the bank, like, it'll be safe. Um, but really what is happening is you're giving money to a bank and that bank is not keeping that money for you that's not their purpose they take that money and they give it to someone else so when you go out and get a mortgage you're actually getting someone else's money in you know to buy your property so and the reason is because say for example a bank could get money and only pay out interest of 0.01 in this day and age like really bad interest but then take that same 100 pounds that they've been deposited and give it out to a lender like to sorry to um to a person who's trying to get out a mortgage to a borrower and get um two percent interest so their profit is two percent minus the 0.01 percent that they're paying out um so people are making money out of you keeping your money in your bank account (laughs) that's the one thing to know um and number two is what you know inflation and Inflation is basically, the simplest way to put it is the fact that your cost of living will go up year on year. Like, you know, every year 
um, the classic example is Freddo's. You know, back in the day, maybe a Freddo's <laughs> chocolate <laughs> IP. And now, now, yeah, now all of a sudden it's like, what, 20, 30, 40? I don't even know. It depends they? where you go, right? Oh, like, it's, it's gone up. It's, right. And that happens with everything. It's like, think of property yeah. prices. Like, our parents must have paid so mm. much less than we do. And that that's, you know, driven by also inflation. So, yeah, it's a fact of life that you're, you know, that your one pound today will buy you less things than your parents one pound mm-hmm. and it's with that yeah. thinking that we need to say okay we can't just keep all this in cash because if I have a hundred pounds today and I feel really proud of myself back pat myself on the back that hundred pounds will not buy me much in 10 20 years time because I'm really glad that you mentioned about inflation because I think that is I suppose the crux of why investing is important because yeah, yeah, like as I'm really honest, like I'm a natural saver, I love it. I'd be absolutely happy to have loads of cash in the bank. Yeah. <laughs> but I am fully aware that, like you said, actually, the longer it's in the bank account, that like the value of it's actually going down. And that can be really deceiving, I think, as individuals, because we still see the same numbers. And yeah. even though like I'm very aware of inflation, it's like it's only over a certain amount of years that you really start to see the impact. Like the like the whole thing about like, yeah, penny sweets and Freddo's and small chocolate bars and stuff. You don't you don't notice it, especially in the moment, because like my mum keeps saying, I feel like every year they're just putting less in the packet. So like now they're confusing us even more because it's they're not even putting mm. the price up of the like for like thing. They're actually yeah. reducing the like the volume of it. So it's getting even more confusing to be able to work <laughs> out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and actually, so quite I think... interesting how, um, sorry, it's quite interesting how the government monitors it because they've got a a bag of products, mm. and then they monitor the price of that to come up with what the inflation. So I think maybe to be fair for someone who's, who's trying to think about this, a two percent is the standard um, inflation in the UK. The Bank of England tried to maintain that, that, so that might be helpful. But they do monitor what it should be, um, and they do this by a, a you know a, a bunch of products, um, and and they change it over time because maybe. You know, our parents wouldn't be thinking about buying, I don't know, or paying for um, internet back in the day, you know, maybe like our grandparents wouldn't be. So they've, they factor those things in that, you know, you will buy different things as time passes by, which I thought was quite interesting. Okay. So I feel like the kind of key message there and what we're going to kind of, you know, move on with is that cash isn't necessarily king Mm -hmm. and we need to remove this fear of women investing we need to make it feel less like the wolf of wall street and very you know male kind of focused and and fed sort of energy and you know millions and billions and you know that crazy vibe and we need to see it as actually no this is women being smart with their money and what they've worked hard to earn um and so I feel like that's kind of like the key message, isn't it? That um, I think as women, we've always been told, you know, like, oh, just have lots of money in the bank because that's good for you and don't risk the money. Um, but I think to be smart with our money, we have to, but that's the message I'm getting. We, we have to invest and, and we'll go through the different ways. Can I just ask you a, a question from a personal point of view and for anyone listening? Um, and it's completely fine if the answer is no, because I'm at different stages. Should you invest if you're in debt? Oh, that's a really good question, actually. Um, look, I think the debt, pay, paying off your debt is a journey, right? Mm. And when we say pay, you know, when we say debt, 
there's different levels like is it one credit card is it you know multiple credit cards and a loan and you know mortgage and like there's different levels I think the way I'd think about it is if I had debt that's very high interest like I'm paying something ridiculous like but you know really anything above five percent I'd say is way too much um Mm -hmm. so you know an Amex credit card that maybe they might charge you 20 percent or uh, anything like that I'd probably try and get rid of that first just because no amount of investing will will make up for for that debt not being paid um the maybe a helpful percentage would be the average return on the market is eight percent so any loan that you have that's like above say actually eight percent is you know you want to get rid of and um so yeah and then if you have like low interest debt or you've managed to arrange where you don't pay any interest and you're just trying to um you know get rid of it um then I think it's okay to find a good balance between maybe investing small amounts um actually you know personally I even started investing when I was in a tiny bit of debt um I just started just so that I could get confident because I knew that I no longer wanted to be in that financial you know situation money's emotional like let's just address that and the reason people find investing scary is because it's this idea of you've worked so hard for this money and all of a sudden you're putting it to these forces that you don't fully understand and you're scared that you're going to lose it right it's a very normal human feeling but you know it's it's important to factor in that it you know it is something that everyone should be doing um especially when you're you know sort of reaching your 20s and 30s the, the, the quicker you start the better because mm-hmm. you can benefit from the trend constantly going up and um, so the way I started personally was actually through Moneybox because I didn't have anyone to talk to about investing and I was kind of curious and I was reading up online and getting really confused you know as Shara and I mentioned earlier there's loads of American information out there where they're talking about 401ks and like all these fancy things and it just adds to the jargon right that feeling of the more I'm reading the more confused I'm getting right mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm trying to, to start, but it's difficult. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd just start slow. Like if you want to start with say 20 pounds, you know, that maybe you would spend anyway outside and therefore, you know, you just want to get into the habit of investing, even though you're in debt. I, me personally, I'm not completely against it. I think it's good to build those habits early on. I'm and really glad. If you have the money, then you, you, know, you know what you're doing. I'm really glad that you mentioned that you were you just start investing when you're in debt because I'm normally one that would say not to I'm like try and focus on clearing your debt first because like that to me is a bit like you should be the priority but you are absolutely right like depending on what the interest rates are and a bit of money that realistically you might not have used to pay off your debt anyway and you might have been going to the go to the pub or have a dinner with or whatever fine but what I do think is really interesting from you sharing your story is I think the one time where I would probably still say it is good when you're in debt is to, you know, is to open some sort of account and to start to understand how it works and to be like trying to educate yourself on the process. Because what I can really see happens is you only start to look at investing when you think you've got to that stage. And that's why then it can be quite overwhelming. Whereas actually, if you've already been on this journey about trying to educate yourself and be like, okay, well, you know, what would my strategy be? Like, what would my approach be? Do I want to like, you know, what provider, like even like the provider, like you mentioned Moneybox, we're now in a a world where one of the reasons why I think investing 
like now virtually anyone can do it is because the technology has changed and it has allowed it's been much yeah. more easier like even within the last I think I because I first probably invested about well, I can't been 15 but maybe like 13 years ago and the difference between like my first provider and the providers I get now like are drastically different just because tech yeah. is improving so much but that can be overwhelming so actually as someone if you are in debt or you know you are you're still in your like trying to build your um emergency savings fund so you're like and I'm, I'm not properly actively going to be investing all the time but to start to have a look and be like okay you know who should I open an account with and then what would my yeah. strategy be start to familiarize yourself I think will put you in a place where when you then are like I do have this amount to invest each month you feel really informed and can make those decisions yes. rather than trying to start the journey the day you're like here's my 200 pound where do I put it <laughs> exactly exactly and it is a journey I think it's less of feeling like you need to start investing all of a sudden you should know everything right I think it's a very um also like a very female thing uh to want to and I'm not like generalizing there's actually research behind this that it you know women are sometimes less um like more risk averse they like less they like less mm-hmm. risk um and maybe it's like driven by so many different things you know societal things where it's like when we're young we're told oh you know make sure you budget properly like you know do your nails at home and blah 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 all these sort of things right maybe when you're younger um but yeah I think there's also this element of we want to know everything before we start doing something and I think think it's an element of perfectionism right because we have really high standards for ourselves sometimes and whereas just to be general like a guy might just be like oh yeah my friend invested in this thing so I'm gonna go invest in that and actually guys talk about investing so much more so it feels so much more normal whereas women don't tend to talk about it right it's anyway money is quite taboo but then when you have this whole additional element of complexity because finance is complicated um it then you know drives women to not even talk about it go quiet and then don't then pick up from all these conversations and that's why I think it's so important to just speak up about it like everyone invests it's good to talk about it it's good to acknowledge that look it can be really complex but can also be really simple it just depends on how you've decided to to approach it right and what investment as we say strategy you've picked because it's like you know if you're picking if you're going to go in and head in start trading then yes it's you know it's really difficult but if you're going to go in and say oh I'll start investing in you know index funds which are known to be diversified and low risk then it doesn't have to be complicated. Hey, it's Sherelle here, and I'm quickly interrupting this episode to make sure that you know this is episode four of our Figuring Money Out mini series. So we had episode one, which is number one, two, two, which is all about budgeting. Then episode two, one, two, three, is on debt. And then episode three, number one, two, four, is on savings and mortgages. So if any of those topics take your fancy, as soon as you finish this episode, just scroll back and have a listen to them. And if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, please subscribe right now so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. We are so excited about creating this mini series because we wanted to not only get financial experts to share their best advice to help you out, but we also wanted to help normalise the idea of talking about money. So if you are enjoying this episode and you're finding it useful, please do share it with a friend. And whilst you're doing it, have a little message, talk to them about your own investing and pension topics. I know it's not the normal thing to do, but come on, 
come on, I want to hear all your pensions and investing stories. And I want to hear them. So please come on over to Free and Figuring It Out on Instagram. You can comment on the related post or you can drop us a DM. Honestly, I will respond to every single DM that is about pensions and investing because I want us to think it's a normal thing to talk about. So please do drop us a DM and let us know where you're at in your money journey and what the podcast has got you thinking about. Now back to the rest of the episode. Okay. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I'm really glad you said about money being emotional. I think that's really important for us to just acknowledge that because it is and you know uh, and the reason I asked that question um, and I appreciate your answer and from your answer I'm not ready because I have quite a a large amount of consumer debt and that's fine because that's my priority but now I can think okay I don't need to wait till every single penny is paid off to start thinking about investing I can get to a certain point and then I can start like having a little look at low risk you know so that makes me feel better because I think Sherelle said you know you feel like you have to tick off one bit and then move on to another even with someone who's a bit in the middle like maybe they they have savings but they've never invested maybe they think oh I need to get to 50,000 pounds in savings and um before I can invest or whatever just on that um should you only invest money you can afford to lose or does it depend on the type of investment I'd I'd probably go with that I'd probably go with don't put the money in the market and you know unless you're comfortable that you're still going to be okay and maybe uh, if we take a step back I think the way I'd think about it is it's key to have a bit of an emergency fund so an emergency fund is just money you keep in your bank account for you know forever really uh up to say it'll be basically your expenses of it ranges but people tend to do three months worth of expenses up to like 12 months or even further the reason I'm mentioning this and it might not seem directly related to investing is because when you're investing you're essentially exchanging cash for an asset right whether that is a share or a bond or a property whatever it is or a fund you're exchanging cash for something else um and therefore if you then need that money back the per- the provider would then need to sell that asset in exchange for cash in order for you to get that cash right and so it is a process and that takes time and so my first thing would be make sure you have enough money for emergencies so you don't need to sell that asset that investment that you've just bought because you're also putting yourself in a situation where if the market is down i.e if your investment temporarily say say you needed the money all of a sudden in in march 2020 the market was down (laughs) because of covid you know that would be a terrible time to be knocking at the provider's door saying hey i need my cash now Mm. because it you your asset has just lost massive value temporarily because it will go back up and it did go back up So I think it's important to have that emergency fund, that little pot that you can just go in and out of uh, when needed, um, just to to prevent you going into having to sell your investments. And once you have that, you know, little pot, um, uh, then it's fine to just kickstart your your investment journey. But you you at least know that you're comfortable, you know, with with that, um, with starting the journey at least. Um, I think the the decision between whether you're going to go really risky or less risky um, is very personal. I think that's the other thing. You can't just take investment advice from your friend because maybe your friend has, you know, mummy and daddy's bank in the background and like has, you know, much more of a cushion and can therefore take a lot more risks and, you know, start trading Bitcoin or like whatever it may be. You know, I'm just obviously making up this persona, but, you know, you can't take investment advice always from um, from friends even it's important to do sort of 
a personal assessment and say, okay, what is this that I'm buying, right? The same way you do when you go shopping, right? You'd think about what you're buying. Is it good quality? Um, you know, am I taking too much risk? You have to do the same sort of assessment with your investments. Um, and then, yeah, then go for it. I think I'm really glad you asked the question about should you only waste money you can afford to lose? Because you see it, it's spoken about a lot and I definitely am of the belief like it, it should be like your extra money like you shouldn't be worried about losing it and it's like you should need it because you have to be able to ride out the storm and I think the whole point about last year I remember drastically <laughs> looking at my figures and being like oh my gosh I lost so much money and you know I'm in female um, finance groups where lots of women were like oh my gosh like that is scary and it is it is scary to see your money disappearing um but if you are in it for the long haul and this is what we're talking about we are talking about investing really for for years not for like days so therefore you you the hope is it will go back up and it'll be okay but I think what is interesting is if we're talking about investing like you know we're we're millennials this is part of our journey that's going to be for the next 20 30 years of our life actually that pot will get bigger and bigger and I, I do think emotionally whether you can still feel as if I can afford to lose that money because whilst you understand that like you can lose a percentage of it as that pot gets bigger I can understand that gets more and more scary that that's never going to feel like money you can afford to lose because actually it becomes thousands and tens of thousands of pounds yeah we're not there yet but I know exactly we're working towards that (laughs) um I think it is important to acknowledge like investing is also emotional and lots of people talk about this because you know it's really easy to look at it and, and feel like that innate um, scarcity. I think it's like a mentality, isn't it? It's like, oh my God, I'm going to lose something that I own. It's called loss aversion. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's okay. this idea that humans feel, you know, much worse when they lose something versus how happy they feel when they gain something. And I think mm. there's a lot of emotion then. So if you're, you know, investing and if your money's going up, you feel some sort of happiness. But if you lose a little bit, the intensity of that emotion is greater. It's because it's this idea that that's my money. I worked hard for it. It's like going away. And um, so it, it is a human trait, this, this concept of loss aversion. And it's very normal. And I think it's important to, to know that. And I think there's things that you can do that will not make you feel that way. Maybe check it less, right? Like if you log in, when you know it's down, just say, okay, you know, I'm just going to ride out this wave and then check it later on. I know it's temporary and there's no point uh, me doing this because then you might feel the need of like selling it, right? And being like, oh my God, investors are not for me. <laughs> I shouldn't do this. And that's probably the worst thing you can do. So just, yeah, there's things that you can do in order to prevent feeling that way or getting around that feeling. Yeah. I'm um, really glad you mentioned that. I'm really strict and I check it once a month on the first of the month. I check my pensions and I check all my investment accounts and I check my bank accounts and I just work, I just check exactly where all my money is, check where my net worth is. That's it done. I don't look at it again for another month. And that is part of me knowing that, yeah, if I looked at it all the time, it would probably freak me out. But also like, you know, we were saying this, we are doing this for a longer term. So why would you be checking it every day when re- in reality is I'm not expecting to take this money out for at least five years, for example. So. Yeah. And, and it's a beautiful thing when you sort of just leave it and then look at it after a few months as well. I think it depends on everyone's way of managing their finances. But um, yeah, I think it's almost nice to just 
leave it, especially if you're in it for the long term. And say for a pension, for example, when you know, you know, it, you wouldn't really change it all the time. So it's fine to just sort of um, ignore it. Um, because, yeah, like, I think it, it's a bit like the the Bitcoin millionaires, right, that bought Bitcoin and then, you know, then afterwards it's worth a lot. I think there's an element of maybe some same when Bitcoin hit a thousand, someone might have seen that and then decided to sell. Whereas actually the benefit wasn't holding it. Um, mm. So, yeah, I think that it's about striking the right balance between checking in order to, to monitor, which is also important. Right? You don't want to be in a bad investment. But then also knowing that don't check too much because then you can take decisions that in the long run aren't beneficial. <laughs> yeah. OK, good. I'm glad you mentioned Bitcoin again. Another area. I'm like, <laughs> sorry, what is that? Is that with the unicorns up in the sky? I'm not sure what that is. But anyway, I'm sure we'll touch on that at some point. So just to to kind of cover this bit, if someone sat here, they're like, right, I have a hundred pounds that's going to go on a meal out. I'm going to invest it instead. Where do I start? What do I do with this 100 pounds? You know, I'm in it for the long term. If it goes, it goes. What's what's the best way to start? Millions on a question. Let's do it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's very, it's, it's very it's difficult to set up, right? When you first start, it's that the hardest bit at first because you're trying to overcome the mental element right and the emotional element um but once you've kind of got your emergency fund in place which I think is very important the next step is to say okay um I'm committing to to invest x amount per month and I think the reason I'm saying that is because there's more benefit in you committing to an amount monthly than there is you just doing a sort of ad hoc just because you're trying to create that habit right um so whether it's investing you know 50 pounds a month or slightly less whatever you can afford uh, consistency is important um so yeah so once you've sort of decided x amount that you're comfortable investing then you sort of have to start to think okay where do I want to put this money there's um two ways you can really go about this you can either try and do it on your own sort of picking a provider where you have more say in what it gets invested in or you can take a preset approach where um, you may use what is called a robo-advisor. And there's tons of them out there because technology has gotten really good. But I'll, I'll throw out a few examples. There's the Nutmegs, the Money Farms, Wealth Simple, you know, Wealthify, many of them. And what they do is they'll make you fill out a quiz. You could say like a bit of a form. And they'll ask you a few questions. Now, these questions, what they're trying to do is they're trying to determine your risk level are you someone who if you put money you won't sleep right it, then it's not worth it it's not worth that investment then it's better to take a, a low risk approach are you someone who's quite happy to throw away that money because actually it's fine you know you're very um you're happy to take risk and in that case they'll pick a um a high risk fund for you um and then they put you in in that portfolio so all you need to do is you need to commit to sending that money so just like paying a bill right? You just send the hundred pounds okay. every month through a standing order or a direct debit, usually direct debit actually. Um, and, the, and the company will take that money and put it into X portfolio fund for you. Um, and that's one way. The other way um, is if you're happy to take a little more um, control over it and you kind of know your risk level, then you can sort of just go to uh, Vanguard, uh, which is one of the top um, index providers out there mm-hmm. and pick your own um, fund and say, okay, I will commit to this amount and it just goes roaring. 
um, that's a good place to start. And the reason I'm not mentioning, hey, start trading and picking stocks and bonds is because I think that's the next level up. I think it's important first when you're first starting out to ease yourself into it and um, yeah, take it one step at a time. Great, great. That's, and I think, um, yeah, and again, it shows, doesn't it? I'm there like I've got my £100, but I completely get that. Well, no, let's make this a habit. And we spoke about this in the saving um, part that we've recorded for the, for this month. You know, it is making that habit. And whereas I had a habit with debt and spend, you know, spending, I'm trying to reverse that and make that habit in saving and investing. So I think that's really, really key. And like you say, if it's a direct debit, it just goes out of the wage that comes in and it's done. And, you know, it's um, so I think that they sound really great. What about people who are at that next level? So maybe more like Shirelle, I don't know if you want to take this, but, you know, kind of that you've been investing for a while and I don't know, you you kind of say where you're at and what, yeah, so I think what advice you'd want. In terms of like, like, I agree, starting with index funds is an easy way to move in, but I think there are there are times when people sort of want to get a bit more excited. Well, uh, I say, <laughs> I'm like quite interested. I'm, I'm starting to pay more attention to like IPOs that are starting up. So I think, I, I suppose... What I think is interesting to share about is stocks is when you get into stocks and shares, and maybe just a little bit about your thinking around how you go about that process. And because there are so, there's so much you can do, you can then go into basically trader mode in terms of like how much you need to go into. But as a like as someone who isn't trying to look for just me today and tomorrow, actually, what 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 either approach do you have, or what approach do you like recommend, or what is it just a way that you could go about trying to move away from just doing index funds? Okay, that that's also a really good question. So I think once you know what we've done with the index funds, or like you have some sort of pot that is growing on a monthly basis, and you think, oh, you know, I still have a little bit of money coming in, and I just like to put a little more. I think it's important to think about this um, framework out there that basically is the core and the satellite investment. I'll explain that a little better. So you've got your core investing, which is where most of your money will go because you, you know, you're planning to use that money in retirement or um, you don't want to take as much risk with that money. So, you know, if you invest 500 pounds or whatever, like whenever you're starting, when that, as soon as that pot is starting to grow, maybe you want to keep it in like safer investments. And I'd still, I'd still pick index funds for your core because you know, there's a lot of research behind it outperforming um, active funds. And actually, maybe we should pause a minute and explain what's the difference. So you've got, so a fund really is just like a box, right? So it has a bit of shares, a bit of bonds. Uh, and the reason they do that is because it's diversified. Um, shares are high risk and bonds are low risk. So you sort of manage to get a mishmash and um, some sort of protection against the high risk element only. You can do obviously funds that are 100% shares, but that's just what it is. It's a box of investments and you're just buying a piece of it. There's then index funds that are like, you're tracking a index, such as when we mentioned earlier that FTSE 100, that is an index. So it's just tracking that. Or you can have a human picking and choosing, you know, where the money should go. Um, And there's research to show that actually index funds, funds outperform, like do better uh, than um, human active funds. So that's maybe something to, to think about. However, the, the index fund only follows the average, the average, the market, right? So there, and when, they, when the research suggests that 
index funds do better than active funds is because they're just looking at averages. But there's 100% people out there that own funds and manage them personally and get fantastic returns. Mm -hmm. So that might be another step that you want to take. So once you're ready with, you know, your your core investments in, in index funds, maybe you want to add a few active funds where there's actually a human. The other element is if you want to take it a step further, then you want to start building your satellite. These are things that excite you, right? That get you excited about investing. And there's always something or the other. I think every generation will have their own things. And our generation is cryptocurrency. And all of a sudden, everyone's talking about NFTs, right? It's just, there's always going to be something that people are buzzing about. And maybe sometimes you want a piece of the pie. And you just ask what an NF- NFT is, sorry. <laughs> You're testing me here. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, I I've never heard of it either. Have you not? I think it's called um, a non. Okay, it's called a non-fungible token. And okay. Basically, what they're doing these days is you can buy pieces of art um, online. So I think the thing that sold that got a lot of noise is Twitter's founder sold his first ever tweet, like the rights to the tweet. So yes, everyone can view it, this. but hmm. um, only one person will have the rights over it. So. Um, someone bought the rights for a lot of money and that's sort of the why there's so much buzz around it um I guess in the future if someone wants to put that tweet up in a um virtual um museum IP basically exactly they'd have to ask the owner in order to be able to do that and it's sort of the same way with art you'd have you know rights over the art and there's artists now selling their artwork online through nfts so it's just a mechanism by which you can buy a piece um by the rights of a digital product mm-hmm. okay uh, thank you for explaining that <laughs> a lot of noise and there's always something fancy out there so i think it, when it comes to first kicking off your journey don't get too distracted by the noise focus on the you know the index funds and getting yourself yeah. in the good habits and the noise would always be there so if you want to try it out then that could be part of your satellite and Obviously, don't put all your life savings in it, but start to think about um, about it and maybe putting a little bit of money here and there to test it out. Um, but hopefully yeah, that I, helps to think I've about. I've got some friends that are all on the Bitcoin. And it was exciting. It's funny for me, actually, is it's friends that aren't doing normal investing. So in my head, yeah. I'm like, you've just jumped to like, they're on the Bitcoin and they're like, checking it and they're sending me messages. And it's like, it's gone up by this and all this market. I'm like, but you don't have literally any real savings any real yeah. invested I'm like what I don't but it's funny just because the hype that everyone's got on it and then that's made me think I'm missing out I should be on it but like you said I think the idea of having a corn and having a satellite and I definitely would think like the satellite is your most risky that you genuinely are like I could afford to lose this if this if this flies exactly. up into the air <laughs> into outer space and goes burn <laughs> with the sun absolutely exactly <laughs> But I can see how that bit's exciting. You know, yes. like it does feel that bit more like, oh, buying a bit of art online that's worth, you know, like it's kind of like, oh, intriguing. And so I, yeah, okay, okay. I'm, yeah, I'm there. I'm, yeah. I mean, I'm in my, in, I'm starting at here in my, what do they call <laughs> invest? You know what they're called? Oh no, index, index. <laughs> I'm with yes. my index. But I'm going to live through Sherelle in a satellite for the moment. Yeah. <laughs> I told you I don't have any Bitcoin yet. No, I know, but I'm gonna I'm gonna push you to be a bit okay. more riskier and then live through you. Okay, we'll do <laughs> that. <laughs> well, I think that's been a really like you know useful discussion around I suppose some of the 
things to get people invested in. I think there is a lot of terms that get mentioned and, you know, we are definitely going to put some stuff in the show notes to really try to help lead people in the right direction of where you want to go next, but um, so that you can go forward. But one part of investing, which more people are involved in and they don't realise they're actually invested in, is their pensions because pensions are invested but because most of us are just like oh that money just gets taken out of my salary and the company does something with it people don't appreciate that it's a type of investment so and it's the most unmillennial thing to talk about ever (laughs) so here we are a millennial podcast talking about pensions let's go (laughs) so every time Sherelle mentions pensions I roll my eyes and I'm like this is so boring I do not want to talk about this and Sherelle's like it's very important Verity it's very important I I'll be on it I I have no interest in pensions I have no knowledge of them there's some very genuine serious part of me that's like Verity you really need to get a grip on this um, but I don't know why, but they've always just seemed very like basically thinking about when you're going to die and like the money that and I don't know why there's just this real horrible trigger in me that I'm like, I don't want to think about that. So please, please, like, help me change my view, help me get to grips because Shirelle has been trying for years now and I just keep smiling at her and be like mm-hmm. she's like what pensions so, do you so... have and all this I'm like I don't know <laughs> so, I think that's so relatable it's so relatable in that it's so easy to look at pensions right when you feel overwhelmed by your finances and think oh this is a problem for another day you know it's you know mm. something that people that are older worry about um and I think it's also because of the way it's portrayed, right? Whenever you look at pension adverts, it's always like older people. And like, so you almost make this association in your mind that it's not something that young people think about. Um, but I think there's a lot of power in understanding it early on, because then you know, like you have some sort of financial plan. Um, so maybe let's think about what what is the purpose of the pension? And I think there's a lot of noise around pensions also. In that there's many different types so maybe we start by splitting out the, the different types you have um, a state pension so that is what the government will give you no matter what what bills your state pensions and how do they decide whether you get that money or not it's easy to assume oh when i get older my country will take care of me right or they'll give me some sort of benefits but that's not true it depends on whether you've done enough national insurance contributions so have you you know every time your national insurance contribution gets deducted from your salary the government is, is tracking that, okay, they are able to then pay you out that um, that money later on. And really what you're doing is you're paying it forward. So like you're putting money in today, it's paying out someone else's state pension. And t- tomorrow the young workers will pay for the older population's um, state pension. And that's sort of how it works. It's how countries and governments have set themselves up. Um, but the state pension is not enough. It's barely anything. It's like approximately, d- varies depending, but approximately about £100 a week. So if you think about living off £400, if you still have to pay bills and everything else, then it's not really a lot. I will not fund my lifestyle. Exactly. No. Exactly. no. I'm intending on having a very fabulous senior year. So that's not exactly. going to help. Exactly. And you have, you know, you, you want to like be able to holiday a bit and like have a good retirement, right? Um, I think the other thing to think about is we often think that we're going to work forever. Um so it's important to to know that that's not the case right? and that we need to plan for it uh, for those years that we won't be working I think if you think about it we'll probably work from the age of 
20 to say 60 that's 40 years then you still got another 40 years to worry about right and also the reason why I'm really banging on about this a lot is it's really important for women because women have live longer and so what that's one of the biggest things about the pension problem with women is actually women will have a longer retirement but actually in general have a smaller pension and that's so we're we're doing ourselves more disjustice because we're trying to make less money last for more years yeah and actually there's it's actually become like something that government's taking on because there's tons of papers that show that there's a gender pension gap women tend to earn less which we won't go into but we let's just dream that a fact we tend to take more career breaks to take care of our parents or our kids um we um yeah sacrifice more I guess in our careers therefore our income becomes less and because your pension is a percentage of your income if your income is low your pension is low um and we tend to live longer there's statistics to prove that women outlive men like many many times and so there's lots of situations where women have either left all the finances to the men or haven't really planned and then don't know how to so I think which is so important that women a take control of the finances or at least have an awareness and B, do plan for that moment where you won't be working. And that's really where the pensions come in and are really powerful. Um, so hopefully, Rarity, that helps <laughs> um, to not yes, feel like it's something like really far away, but it's something to, to think about in a good way. Mm. Um, so we explained the different types of pensions. So we said state pension, and then you have uh, per, um, company pension. So that's the one that your um, employer is responsible for creating for you. And actually back in the day, this wasn't even obligatory. So people would retire with barely anything um, and have to try and live off the state pension because they didn't plan for it, their company didn't plan for it, and therefore they were left on the government's, you know, um, reliance, they were relying on the government. So what the government did is they incorporated something that required employers to set up these pensions for people. Um, And so now all employers are required to um, do automatic enrollment and enroll people in pensions. And they've, they're meant to give, you know, X percent every year um, for pensions. So um, that's the other thing. And then the final one is if you decide that your state pension plus your company pension is not enough for you, um, then you can start to think about personal pensions. And there's loads of tax benefits to it, which is why people might want to. Um, and also we have a lot of self-employed listeners. So for them, like a company one isn't an option. So they do need to be looking at getting their own private pension. Oh, 100% then, yeah. And and it's easy to think it's a problem for another day, especially when you're running your own business, right? There's so much going on um, that it can be easy to make your pension the last thing on your list. But it's probably worth uh, putting it at the top of your list and at least doing a little bit every week or every day that will get you to setting it up. And once it's automatic, you don't need to think about it. But that setup is the hardest phase. So, So if you are sat here now like me and you know you've paid into pensions and I've paid lots of money into pensions you know I've been working for kind of well nearly a few decades now and um I have stuff everywhere but I literally have no idea what or where or how much or like what what should I be doing to sort of take a bit of control over this such a good question and I think that's probably what makes it overwhelming that no one tells you that when you change jobs there's this additional thing to think about right everyone says like negotiate your salary and all these like funky things but actually worry about your pension as well so uh, the UK government has a pension tracking service that helps you to find uh, any pensions that you may not um, 
know about. I think the first place to start though is to, to, to go through the paperwork because these pension providers have to send you annual statements and lots of information when you first sign up. So first would be to go through your own paperwork uh, and see you know, what your um, em employer's uh, pensions were or contact the HR department. They always maintain this information. Um, and then if those two don't, don't work, then you can use the UK Gov pension tracking service. But the first thing is to spend some time getting it all in, in one place, all your paperwork. Once you've got, got your paperwork in one place, try and see, uh, try and find like contact details to log in online. You can always call them uh, and, and explain what you're trying to do. Um, and I'd probably just keep a tracker uh, on, you know, on Excel to try to see, okay, this is the company I worked for. This is how the pension provider that they had because each company will have their own. I was quite lucky in that when I moved roles, both of them had the same provider. So I was able to call them up and say, hey, please can you show them both on my online pension statement. And they managed to do that for me. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's just a bit of admin. It's a bit like interacting with the bank in that there yeah. is just admin involved, but it's always worth it in that once you have yeah. it all in one place, then you can start to make decisions. And there's tons of new uh, pension providers these days that actually help you do that, like help you consolidate and then help you have a pension with them. Pension B is one of them. So they help you to consolidate and um, to to have your all your pensions in one place. So you don't need to have multiple logins and all all the drama can just be simplified. Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned about um, combine, not combining, you said a different word, I forgot what it's called. <laughs> but I was a typical millennial, had four, I still have four, but I have been going through this process of, I know all of them, I know how much is in them, I know all my login details now, and I've just been trying to go through the paperwork to work out whether I can consolidate them into one or not. So it's a very common situation, I think, now so if you're listening and you're thinking oh you know I've got too many and I'm not on top of it like it is a proper millennial problem but we we're not in this one job for life anymore yeah. and actually I had two companies that had the same provider but because it was different types of pensions I could see them both when I logged in but they hadn't even combined them I was like they're the same company this is stupid just put the money yeah. together love you're just <laughs> making this harder than it needs to be so it can be complicated and you're not alone that's what I wanted to say yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I also just want to add the reason for that is because, as we mentioned at the start, this is not just money sitting there. This is money getting mm. invested. So people make decisions on behalf of you. They say, hey, the, you know, this person is going to need this amount of risk. So they actually what they do is they play it really safe and they pick a very average investment fund just to be safe. So you could be losing out on growth because someone, when they set up your pension, picked a very average, safe-ish investment. Whereas we're young, we can take big risks. So I went through the process at the start of the year of changing my pension funds and actually it wasn't so bad I thought it'd be a lot of hard work but what makes it complicated is each employers will have their own selected funds so you can only pick within then um but that's a whole process in itself and probably worth getting a financial advisor for but just wanted to put that out there that it is that money is invested it is invested in funds that you can see when you log in um and that you do have an option to change it if you want to or leave it if you don't okay yeah yeah no that's good I think we've covered all the sort of different stages one thing just to kind of finish on on this topic so if someone is listening and self-employed or wants to be self-employed or you know needs to think about private pensions um where where do they go like what where do where do they start are there comparison websites do you google like where what do you do yeah I I'd start by Googling, yeah. So Penfold, 
and pension B are probably good places to start. There are both two pension providers I've seen that basically cater to self-employed people. Um, and yeah, that'd probably be a good place to start, I'd say, and to have a chat with them. But at the end of the day, they're then going to ask you the same questions, right? Like, where were your pensions? So if I think I'd probably start by spending some time getting all the paperwork together and then um, starting to have those conversations. Just, just so it just makes it easier. You can call and then have the paperwork, but either way. Yeah. And I think if you're um, doing your own pension, I think just to know lots of these new types of software now allow you to actually put in, because they're going to have to work out what your own contribution would be and stuff, but they allow you to put in that money and like do some forecasts. Because I think as an individual, if you're doing it privately, I think one of the biggest things is actually understanding how much should I be contributing? What is this going to look like? But the tools now are definitely better in helping you to do like the forecasting. of. But the thing that always makes me laugh is how inflation kicks it back in you're like oh I'm gonna have all this money but inflation means it's only gonna be worth this so actually doing those numbers <laughs> like and doing those numbers now actually is going to make the biggest difference and this is why we're trying to have this conversation today is actually you can you know by making your contribution a little bit more now it will make a massive difference by the end yeah and it could feel overwhelming but I just want to acknowledge that everyone feels that way so yeah. no one taught us this mm. in school so if you're sitting here thinking oh my God, I'm so lost, there's so many things. Just re-listen to this slower at your own pace and you know, start taking smaller, smaller actions. Don't let the fear of not knowing or not knowing where to start stop you from actually doing things. As you start, you'll start to see that it gets easier. It's the setup yeah. that's difficult. After that, it's all easy. I think Sherelle was like the first person I spoke to about pensions and bless her, even though I scowled her every time. But, you know, that was early 30s. I'd never probably mentioned the word pension apart from saying to my HR department, I don't want to pay this much, Um, you know, in my early 20s, because I was like, this is for like beer. Like, why am I paying all this money? Yeah, so you know, many like, <laughs> Yeah. So it's um, and it's someone else mentioned it on another episode. We do not have a financial education. We do not get one. We have this is all all about teaching ourselves and I've had to really just kind of be like do you know what there's a bit of shame around me being 34 and not knowing this stuff but I just need to start today so I just need to get rather yeah. than feeling the victim of being like oh you know poor me there's debt and I can't invest yet and I just need to start being empowered and I feel like this conversation has just made me feel a bit more at ease about you know the I don't feel like investing is as risky as I did before this conversation. And I feel like that first step to sort my pension out is just finding the paperwork, which I may have thrown in the bin. Yeah. So that may be contacting HR departments um, yeah. and then going on the tracker and things like that. So, yeah, um, I just feel that a bit more empowered. Awesome. <laughs> so, <thank you. laughs> so good to hear um is there anything on investing and pensions that we haven't touched on that you think is burning and you need you need to to share with us no I think we covered a lot I just want to reinforce <laughs> that it is a process and like it's not like all of a sudden I woke up one day and I was like bonds and shares and funds. like it, it has been a process so it will be for you too so just take it easy and, and do as much as you can Oh, well, let's quickly dive into the fire round. Are you ready? Let's do it. <laughs> so first of all, what is your definition of free? The only thing I could come up with is peace, like freedom, financial freedom, peace. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, love that. Um, what's your favourite thing to do on your own? I like to read a lot. Um, so definitely yeah. a, a cuppa and a, a book. 
love it um what is your best piece of advice for millennial women it would be just go for it it's so easy to overthink anything and everything you know should I do this should I do that and in a world where we're given too many options especially in our generation with the internet we see what everyone else is doing all the time just go for it whatever feels right to you Mm. yeah don't wait for perfection just do it um which resource so book documentary podcast whatever are you always recommending to other people I was going to put one, but I ended up with two, so I'm going to say two. That's fine. Um, (laughs) The first one is The Automatic Millionaire by David Bach. It just helped me rethink my relationship with money um, and had the power of automation. And then the second one would be Meaningful Money by Pete Matthews. He is fantastic for UK resources. So it will save you the effort of being like, what is this? We're finding out it's for US two very good books and um the saving investing we spoke to lisa conway hughes and she also talked about the automatic millionaire so good choice (laughs) and finally what are you still trying to figure out how to fit in everything i want to do in 24 hours (laughs) the struggle is real (laughs) yeah we've had a few work-life balance (laughs) chats haven't we from a bigger Mm. yeah this is the, the modern day drama. Yeah. Well, we won't take up any more of your time. Thank you so, so much for coming on. It's been amazing to have you. But if anyone else has been loving listening to you and they want to find out more, where can they find you? They can find me at This Girl Invest. I produce a lot of content on Instagram or go to www.thisgirlinvest.co.uk. Brilliant. Thank you so much. It's been so wonderful to uh, hear all your tips and advice. Thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Free and Figuring It Out. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss the next installment. And if you want to be a superstar, please leave us a review. Or you can get in touch with us. Drop us an email at freeandfiguringitout at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time.